the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus performed many miracles. Much of them were healings, a restoration of health. So the significance of it will be the subject of our time today as Luke addresses this issue, the power to heal, in Luke chapter 5. Join us, Abounding Grace is next. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, hello and welcome to today's edition of Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner is taking us verse by verse through the book of Luke. We're in chapter 5 today, looking at verses 16 through 26. Our time together will focus on the healing power of Jesus and the significance of this healing power, the authority with which Jesus performs these miracles, these healings. There's a lot to glean and a lot to take in, so let's get right to it, shall we? Here's our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, with today's edition of Abounding Grace. The same power with which God created the universe, the same power with which He sustains this universe, the power that was so significantly and magnificently and supremely displayed in the exodus of Israel from Egypt, in the redemption of God's people out of their slavery, their deliverance from their enemies, and their constitution as a holy nation. That same power is present in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring total healing to the whole person who believes in Him. Now today I want us to look at the incident involving the paralytic itself. What happened that day? What was said that day? Because that incident is so rich with foundational truths for our lives, we must look at what exactly happened that day and what was said. And we're going to look at what the effects of this whole incident had on the man who was healed, as well as all the observers, and particularly the enemies of Christ. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we will look at something that is right at the center of this passage, and that is faith itself. The relationship of faith to the forgiveness of sins, and what true saving faith really looks like. Now today, let's look at the incident itself. Jesus is teaching in someone's home. The main room of the house is full of people, crammed in so that everyone could barely move. And if you have ever read the voice of the martyrs, you know there are similar situations in many Asian countries today where Christianity is literally outlawed. There are so many coming to saving faith in these countries that there is very little room for people to move about in the small homes where the worship actually takes place away from the eyes of an intrusive state government. We need to pray for those people, beloved. Now here, there were four men. 
who had a paralytic friend that they were hoping Jesus would heal. They were very determined to get him to Jesus. Now they apparently arrived late after Jesus had begun his preaching and they couldn't get through the door of the house into this cramped room. So presumably, because this paralytic's condition was so critical and they couldn't afford to wait, they figure out a way they could get their crippled friend right in front of Jesus so he could be healed. So they went up the stairs to the roof and removed some of the tiles so they could lower this paralytic, caught and all, down right in front of Jesus where he was preaching. So he would not be missed by anyone. Now I want you, I want to show you, before we actually go on, how dedicated critics of the Bible are to disproving the authority of the written Word of God. So that people will think that the Bible is not a trustworthy document. And there are literally reams of paper that the critics of the Bible have used to show that the Bible is an error right here in our passage. And it's all wrapped up in those tiles on the roof. Can you believe it? I can take you to commentary after commentary where they say, here is proof that the Bible is not the inerrant Word of God. It, it says that they took the tiles off the roof and lowered the paralytic, and anyone who has any understanding of ancient history knows that Palestinian homes in Jesus' day did not have roofs made of tiles. Luke was obviously mistaken. Only Roman houses had tiles. Therefore, here is an error in the Bible. And if there is an error here, there must be errors elsewhere. So the Bible is not trustworthy. These guys, beloved, are a very dedicated bunch. Well, how do you answer these guys who believe that these tiles disprove Scripture? First of, all, first of all, remember that Palestine was under Roman dominion and tyranny during the first century. Roman influence was dominant in every aspect of Jewish culture at that time. And therefore, it is perfectly reasonable and possible to think that Roman influence also affected the, ag the architecture so some of the Jewish homes had tiles for roofs, right? But if that basic reasonable assumption is not enough to convince you, maybe some new discoveries will. Ever since these commentaries were written, God has made fools of their authors because recent archaeological discoveries have confirmed that some Palestinian Jewish houses did have tile roofs in New Testament times. So let God be true and every man a liar. Now why is this incident even in the Bible? It is a fascinating story and most everyone knows about it. Well, it's here because the healing... And the forgiving of this paralytic clearly reveals Christ's divine sovereignty in the forgiveness of sins. 
The whole point actually condenses down to one simple sentence. Jesus is so divinely sovereign that he can even forgive sins. Because God alone has the authority and the power to forgive sins, Jesus, by his action, clearly reveals that he is God incarnate. He heals instantaneously and completely, which only God can do. And he forgives sins, which only God can do. And in doing that, beloved... He is giving one of the clearest statements and testimonies in all of Scripture to the fact that he is not a mere man, but he is a man who is also God. In fact, I want you to understand four strands of argument in this passage of Scripture that reveal without question that Jesus Christ is not simply the greatest man that ever lived, a great moral teacher, but he is one of a kind. He is the only man like this in all of history. He is God in human flesh. Consider these four things with me. Consider, first of all, Jesus' perception. Jesus had a perception that is only true of God. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 20. You have these four men who brought the paralytic in on this cot. And Luke says, And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now weighing that participle phrase, When he saw their faith. Have you ever seen faith? Have any of you here looked into someone's heart and actually seen faith in that heart? Of course not. No man has or ever will except the divine man, Jesus Christ. Why? Because only God can see faith in the heart. In our lives, there have been people who we thought had faith, but we were mistaken. There have been people who we thought were devoid of faith, but... We were mistaken. Only God can infallibly see into the heart of men. Jesus saw that these four men and the paralytic had faith in him that he could and would do for them what they could not do for themselves. The paralytic needed to be physically healed and spiritually forgiven. And these five men had confidence that Jesus was not only willing... But he was able to do it. And Jesus saw that faith in their hearts. And only God can see faith. Several commentaries said that Jesus here is only referring to the four carriers of the paralytic seeing their faith. It wasn't the paralytic that had faith. It was his four friends who had faith. And because they had faith, Jesus healed the paralytic. Well, though that is a common belief about this particular story, we must nevertheless be clear on the fact that the paralytic had to have faith, beloved. Not just the four men, but the paralytic himself had to have faith. Now, why is that? Well, I ask you, where in all the Bible is forgiveness of sins ever obtained without faith? 
There is no such place. And yet Jesus forgave this paralytic and then healed him, testifying to the fact that this man had faith as well as the four that brought him. So, there is the first testimony to the fact that Jesus is not a mere man. That he is God himself. Because he is the only one who can recognize faith in the heart. Now let me give you the second strand of argument in this passage that reveals Jesus is truly God. The Pharisees were correct in their reasoning when they said, Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, of course, forgave this man's sins. What the Pharisees said is central to this whole story. That's what Jesus was maneuvering them to say. Because he knew, having set them up, that he would be in a position to put them in a crisis situation to choose concerning him. So Jesus said, friend, I forgive you. They said, who can forgive sins except God alone? You're exactly right, said Jesus in a sense. You understand my whole point, Mr. Pharisee. No one can forgive sins but God, and I forgive him. So there is the second strand of argument. Jesus does what only God can do. He forgives sins because he is God in human flesh. And here's the third strand of argument, and beloved, this is a great one. Look at verses 21 and 22. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. Now, they are just reasoning. It is simply in their mind. They have said nothing out loud. And perhaps it's just on the tip of their tongues. They began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, or was aware of their reasonings, he answered and said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking before they even spoke. And it wasn't because they saw, he saw something in their faces, but because with divine insight, he saw into the thoughts of their evil hearts and their evil minds. And as one commentator by the name of Linsky said, with stunning directness, Jesus confronts those Jews with their own thoughts. Here you see Jesus proving himself again to be divine. He brings to the open. He publishes for all to hear the secret thoughts of what the Pharisees were thinking. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now keep your finger here and turn to John chapter 2. And you'll see another statement to the same effect. There were some people who came professing to have true faith in Jesus, which Jesus knew was a sham. Jesus would have nothing to do with them. So notice why in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. 
He knew all men, and he knew what was in man. Man looks on the outward appearance. So God sees the deeper recesses of the heart, and Jesus read their thoughts and saw their reasonings and answered them before they had time to speak. And he did so because he was God. Then there is a fourth strand of argument, and that is the phrase, he had the power of God to heal. He was the administrator of God's omnipotence. The power that God used to create the world, to sustain the world, bring about the exodus is now incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as God alone can forgive sins, so God alone can heal a paralytic instantaneously and completely. And Jesus healed the paralytic. Therefore, Jesus is God incarnate. These are strands of arguments which are irrefutable, beloved. Now, what effect did the situation have upon Jesus' enemies? They had come from miles, these scribes and Pharisees, and gathered together to try and find some fault in Jesus, something that they could use against him to silence him. So here they were in this congregation where he was teaching and where this paralytic is lowered through the ceiling. He forgives the paralytic of his sins. They ask, who can do these things? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says... Is it easier to say, I forgive, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? And then he immediately performs a miracle. And instantaneously and completely, this paralytic is healed. He takes up his bed, and he walks home, and everyone there saw it. Now, what was the response of these critics of Jesus, who came there to try and catch him at something sinful or blasphemous? Well, they were shocked. Look at all the words that describe their response. In verse 26, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, why would they be amazed? Why this type of response to Jesus? Well, first of all, they understood what Jesus was doing and saying. They understood correctly that Jesus was claiming that he was forgiving this man of his sins on his own authority and not just saying that he knew God had forgiven him of his sins. Now that's important. They wouldn't have been shocked if Jesus had come up to them and said, Listen, I believe God has forgiven this man of his sins. That, that would have been okay. Anyone can say that about someone else. Now, I believe that God has forgiven all of you. Well, at least most of you, of your sins. The Pharisees could have accepted that, but they knew that was not what Jesus said. That wouldn't have amazed them in the least little bit. He didn't say, listen, I believe God has forgiven this man. No, Jesus said, in my own name, not in the name of another, but in my own name, I declare that your sins are forgiven. Right here and right now. 
I am forgiving you of your sins. I am removing them from you as far as the east is from the west. I am hiding your sins behind my back, and I will never hold them against you again. And that is why it was so shocking. They understood exactly what Jesus was doing and saying, and they were amazed. Why? Because they understood correctly that only Jehovah could forgive sins. They knew the Old Testament. So look at a couple of passages with me from the Old Testament. And remember, only God can forgive sins. Turn to Exodus 34, and we will start with verse 5. And the Lord descended in a cloud, in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation." Here, the only God there is, is a God that not only judges some men for their sins, but a God who also forgives other men of all of their sins. Turn to Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all of thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Now we'll come back to this verse in a few minutes. But I want you to see why God is to be praised, because only he forgives sins. One more, Psalm 130. And notice the intensity of this psalm. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark my iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Here you feel something of the intensity of this man as he, from the depths of his conviction of sin and of a burden of sin, cries out to the Lord and says, God, be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Oh, please listen to me, O oh Lord. And he says, if you would keep track of my sins or anyone else's sins, no one would be able to stand up under your judgment. But praise God, there is forgiveness with you. There is not forgiveness to be found anywhere else. But there is forgiveness to be found with you, O oh God. The reason these Pharisees were shocked was because at this point their theology was correct. They understood that only God could forgive sin. And that has a very practical implication for us. Because the only person who can forgive sin is the person against whom you have sinned. Listen carefully. If you have sinned against John Doe and Tom and Mary and Susan, and everyone else but them forgives you, that is irrelevant. The only person who can forgive you is the person against whom you have sinned. But whenever you sin against another person, 
you also sin against God. And whenever you sin, you sin against God. Every time you break the law of God, you must go and ask God to forgive you. It's never enough to just apologize to another person. And that is so essential, beloved, in child training. When you spank your children, which I hope you are using as a first resort and not as a last resort, but when you spank a child, you are training them so that after you spank them, you set them down on your knee, and if their offense is against you, you must tell them they are to ask you for forgiveness. And then you must have them pray and ask God to forgive them. So that from the earliest days, they understand that only forgiveness that is worth anything is the forgiveness of the one against whom they have sinned. And therefore, since we always sin against God, just apologizing to another person is not enough. Men, if you hurt your wife's feelings and you apologize to her, don't ever think you're off the hook and feel good about yourself until you have begged God to forgive you for sinning against Him. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.